0: This is the Iowa State Athletics SciCast. Hi,
1: everybody. I'm John Walters. Today's SciCast is a visit with former Iowa State Director of Athletics, Max Urich, who this September will be inducted into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. Urich spent 19 years at ISU in one capacity or another. Among other topics, we'll discuss Johnny Orr, Jim Gibbons, Elaine Heber, and Pete Taylor. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Max Urich. Well, Max, a year ago you were inducted into the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics Hall of Fame, which had to be a tremendous honor, and now you're experiencing going into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. Just take me back to when Jamie Pollard made that phone call to you and, and what this means to you to know that you're going to be part of Iowa State Hall of Fame.
0: Oh, well, John, it's so good to talk to you. and I, You just hit on a couple of things that are really heavy with me, heavy in, in the sense that they kind of anchor me with my looking back on my experiences and, and my fortunate career, but I remember very well when Jamie called me. Lynn and I were spending a few days in Arizona this past February. Jamie called and he was upbeat on the phone and I could tell something something was going on and I thought he was going to call me and tell me about how Iowa State had just signed another five-star football recruit from Arizona or something, because <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was a happy man. And then he told me why. I said, you're you're really fired up today, Jamie. He said, yeah, let me tell you why. And that's when he told me that I'd been recommended to be inducted into the Iowa State Athletic Hall of Fame. And it was uh, speechless and a little shaky in my response uh, to Jamie because I had no clue, particularly when the selection committee is comprised of former athletes and and people that are current, but also that tips into a bit of the history. And I think when an administrator or anyone or a coach is recognized maybe years after they've stopped really working, that's when maybe it all kind of coalesces into understanding fully why you did what you did and why you enjoyed the things that you enjoyed and why you suffered when the athletes suffered, and uh the locker rooms were joyous and they were sad too but it was uh it was a great feeling when Jamie called me, and I was so grateful to to him and those at Iowa State for giving me this recognition and uh the people on the selection committee
1: well, you know nineteen years at Iowa State it was quite a run first under Lou McCullough and then as the athletics director what are your just some of your favorite memories? Of just that time period, uh, two decades spent in Ames as part of the Iowa State Athletics Department.
0: First of all, I can't believe it was two decades. It just went zipping by. And I had such a high quality of life in Ames with our family. My kids, Courtney, Mark, and Mike, grew up in Ames. That's where they started school and that's where they finished school. And so that was really an important time in their in their growth. But also, John, I I grew up in Ames. Just as they did in their own way, I grew up a lot, and it was the nurturing of not just the community, but Lou McCullough, Bob Markham, Bob Parks, Wayne Moore, Warren Madden, Carl Hamilton. Years later, I looked back and I said, if I've had any success, it's because I was around quality people. I was fortunate to have been nurtured, mentored by a president like Bob Parks. What a statesman he was as a president. And Lou and everyone was very unique in their own way and I guess that there's just a little part of all of them I hope in me and the sum total of, of what defines me but I was really lucky to be around the people like that and Bob Markham gosh he took me aside I don't know how many times and he said now now look Lou's barking at you a little bit here but here's what he, <laughs> he and, and it was true uh, Lou was terrific. We had coached together at Ohio State, so I knew what he was like, but I wasn't sure I wanted to be be an administrator. I really came to Iowa State from Duke University as an assistant coach, and, and I wasn't sure this kind of a transition If I was cut out for this. Well, those are the people that, that really helped me bridge the gap between coaching and administration because there is a vast difference and what really was the common thread that just kind of ran through all of this, John, was the fact that you're doing the work because of the athletes, and because of the classic values that sports holds for those that participate. And those values are the classic values. They're not gender specific. They're not sports specific. They're across the board. There's only one place where that can take place, and that place is in the area of amateur sports. So. I really, in going back in the times of, of Johnny Orr, I don't know how, how you could even write a book about that, how you could write really capture the essence of those years. And you throw into that mixture of Jim Gibbons, the risk-taking. And I remember Pete Taylor and Dave Cox saying, this is a guy, you know. Gibby's got something about him. I said, I know he does, but, gosh, he's, he's never coached. I mean, he's just right out of, gosh, he looks like he's right out of high school. And they said, well, yeah, but, Max, you need to look at that one. So we had Gibby come in and talk, and it didn't take any of us long. It didn't take me particularly long at all to know that he was well-prepared to accept this challenge, just as he had taken care of the challenges that he had met through his wrestling career. It was through, again, the Johnny Orr's, the uh, Dave Cox, the Pete Taylor's, the Jim Walden's, the Elaine Heber's, all of us, that we had a young person come on the staff like Gibby, then that was a special challenge to keep our focus on what we needed to do and reduce the distractions that might pop up from time to time. But, boy, if you can surround yourself and get a, a group of people like you just mentioned and <clears throat> any more, Frank Randall, gosh, he's starting to pop in my mind now, if you can just get all those arrows going in the same direction, you can you can get a lot done. You can accomplish a lot with the athletes, but also enjoy your work to the nth degree.
1: Well, Max, you were here and played a a very big role in building basically Cyclone Stadium, what it was called at the time. It's now Jack Trice Stadium. It was such a big thing for Iowa State to to have that, and the design allowed for growth, and that's exactly what's happened, and I imagine when you see what that stadium looks like today, it really warms your heart to know that it had humble beginnings and, and has grown into something really, really special.
0: It really has, I'm not sure any of us at that time could have developed the vision for what it has become now. The transition to Jack Trice Stadium from Clyde um, Williams Field. Oh, I mean, how could you have such almost a stark comparison in a transition? And the quality that's developed at Iowa State with all the facilities is a, a true tribute to a foundation of grassroots, a very strong grassroots that make it a very unique place to work uh, Aims is a very unique place to live and to know that the people there share your mission, they share the challenges, and are willing to roll up your sleeves. And and, and at the same time, John, it's keeping a perspective on sports that's really in sound balance with the mission of the university.
1: Well, Max, the Johnny orr hire. Can you tell me what you remember of that time as he was being courted and then eventually decided to make the move to Iowa State? And then also just your perspective on what kind of an impact that had on the athletics department as a whole.
0: That is another chapter of this book that no one could write, John. It was was the hiring of Johnny Orr that I don't think anyone at the time could understand Over time, what that impact would have, and all very positive. Johnny was a unique individual and was an acclaimed coach at, of course, at Michigan and the Hall of Fame coach, and the hiring was really interesting, and there are little few renditions of that, but it boiled down to where Michigan had really taken Johnny Orr for granted. They didn't realize what they had. It was all football. Don Cannon was the athletic director at Michigan, and football was the the engine that pulled the train at Michigan and still does, although they're good in lots of things, like many schools are. Lou calls Johnny Orr about Bill Frieder, who is the uh, assistant coach at Michigan, and starts to describe the job to to Johnny. And Johnny, in his own wake, and says, Well, damn, Lou, that sounds like a job I ought to have. And you can just tell him that that he had, been taken for granted. So Lou talked him into coming down for an interview. But Johnny said, I really can't, I don't want him to know I'm looking for a job. And Lou told him to just come down as a consultant. So this ends up a case of where the consultant becomes the candidate. So Johnny comes down, he he has a great visit. He visits with all the key people. Dr. Parks uh, liked him, they got along great. Johnny had turned the job down that Lou had offered him. Johnny had returned to Michigan and had uh, told him, no, he couldn't come. Dave and I had called Johnny back and said, Hey, what's the matter, buddy? And he says, Oh, yeah, I know. I, I really liked it there. You guys treated me great. And I said, Well, we would have a great time, Johnny, and we you know, got him to see if he was still interested. And I said, Johnny, um, are you still maybe hot on this thing? And, I, and he said, Yeah, oh, yeah, but, you know, I can't come for what he's offering me. He said, I know what they're paying Lou Dolson and how I beat Lou Dolson two out of three years. So he said, I can't come for that. So I said, well, okay. So I said, hold the line just a second. So Dave and I were sitting there looking at each other, and I said, talk to him. I'm going to go in and Lou's office and talk to Lou. And so Dave continued to talk with Johnny. I went into Lou's office, and I said, Lou, you know, Johnny tried to call last night. He said, yeah, he's not coming. He's not coming. He's staying at Michigan. I said, well, you know, I think he would really wanted to come here. Well, he just, he just wasn't going to do it. He wanted more money. And he said, I'm not going to pay him more than I pay my football coach. And that was Earl Bruce's time. And I said, well, Lou, give Earl a raise. Then you can pay him both <laughs> more and make him both happy. And so he said, what? what do you mean? Yeah, give him a raise. Lou, no one could ever imagine Iowa State being able to hire the head coach from Michigan in any sport. No one would visualize that. You could neutralize everything the University of Iowa has done this year. If you could hire Johnny Orr, think of that. And Johnny has beaten Loot two out of the last three years. The fans would love it, Lou. Well, I'm not going to pay more. I said, Yes, you can. I wouldn't let a few thousand dollars stand in the way, Lou. You need to go with it. He said, I don't know if I will or not. I said, Well, he said, Well, get, Lou said, Well, get him on the phone. I said, He is. He's on the phone talking to Coxie right now. Uh, He said, what? I said, yeah, we're talking to him. So uh, I left and then went back in and told Dave to switch it over to Lou. So he did, and uh, Dave and I kind of look at each other and say, well, we're probably going to get fired over this, so let's just (laughs) walk. So we walked back to the Olsen building and and, uh, walked, turned around, came back up and wondering what in the heck was going to happen. Well, we saw Lou come through the door and come right at us and had kind of a snarl on his face. And he said, All right, you son of a gun. I offered to coach this and this, and he's coming. Oh, Lou, that was great. And we made a big deal. I mean, we put Lou on the pedestal there because that was something that it, it went against, Lou was a very a frugal man. So he needed the kind of guidance to get him off of spot zero from time to time. And that was the kind of the role that Dave and I played in getting him moved on. And same with Elaine Heber, who was the counsel and advice that got Lou off of spot zero so many times. But nevertheless, that was the story. And the key things. On that, John, what I took away from that is that don't hesitate to go back in another time on somebody if you're hiring. Don't be afraid to do that. And also, don't let a few thousand dollars stand in the way from doing something that can be life-changing for people but also can change the whole culture, almost, of a university. And I don't want to put more emphasis on athletics here than what it deserves to have, but I'd have to say in the history of, of a university anymore, Athletics is either fortunately or unfortunately taken such a high position that you better do things in a dramatic way. You're either in it or you're not. Thankfully for Lou and for Dr. Parks and and Wayne and the people that were able to shake this thing out, that uh, Iowa State was able to accomplish something that I don't think could ever be accomplished again. Uh, that legacy will last forever, and we'll all respect it, even the coaches that come after Johnny and the coach at Iowa State for years and years to come will always respect the legacy that Johnny started.
1: I have this image in my mind, Max, of Midnight Madness, and Johnny comes out in a tuxedo, and and here's you, and the two of you are dancing together. Hilton Magic, when Johnny basically got that thing rolling, it just became just a party. It, It was so much fun, and every fan that filled that arena, and they did, right to the top row, if it was Augustano or it was... Oklahoma, they had a great, great time. That had to be a lot of fun to just be a part of that ride and see how much fun Iowa State fans had following Johnny's teams.
0: It was a real happening time. I'm not sure any of us at that time could grasp the magnitude of what was taking place. I sometimes stop and think, if that wasn't that the darnest thing that happened? And when Dave, <laughs> Dave Cox and I get together, we invariably, and anyone from Ames that I see uh Joe Pugel and Jan Pugel and, and Arnie Gardy. We just kind of look at each other and smile and say, Wasn't that the damnedest thing that ever happened? <laughs> and just have a good time. <laughs> but you know, that was just part of a tiring of him. But also, you know, every day wasn't a beautiful day with Johnny. I mean it was it had its ups and downs too. But everybody seemed to be pulling in the same direction, so again, we were able to minimize those distractions and and keep the you know keep the rudder straight as you possibly can. But I tell you, there was an element of uncertainty that you went into each day. I mean, you really didn't know what was going to be going on all the time. You just didn't. That was what made it exciting. But what made it really exciting, and just icing on the cake, is how devoted Johnny was to uh, the players. It was a fun time. We'd start those Cyclone Club outings, and man, we'd go to different county. Pork producers and had those big old pork chops, and then then the the real party started because everybody came, you know, came to hear the coaches speak. They didn't come to hear me to meet speak or anyone else. They, they liked to hear Pete. Of course, Pete was Mr. Smooth. He got things, he got the cap to put on things more than once. But you really, uh, it was really a magical time.
1: Another thing about that too, Max was that was kind of the dawning of the Cyclone Television Network, a statewide network. And, you know, I've always said you're you're a fan of what you can see when you're a kid. You know, you grow up, and if you can watch a team play, you're probably going to become a fan of that team. And that increased exposure that you oversaw I I think just really made a dent in what Iowa had established with its television and and allowed Iowa State to to get in there and get its nose in there and really have a bunch of fans develop across the state that were – Uh, maybe not exposed as much to Iowa State before that time.
0: I think you're right. And again, John, I can't say that, oh, I I had a vision of this. I knew this was all going to happen. I knew exactly how this was going to roll out. Well, you you didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know from straight up most of the time. And I just got around some people that did. And you're right about the exposure of of the TV, and that's gone to a new level now, as we all know. But that was a, a big impetus to us being the the school, the school in Iowa. And our relationship with the University of Iowa was a healthy one. Bump Elliott couldn't have treated me any better, any better. And here I am moving into a position of being athletic director. Bump called me up, invited me to come over. He just treated me great. And I'll always have great respect for Bump and, and the University of Iowa. It's a, a great relationship, a healthy rivalry, a respectful rivalry, but I'll always be mindful of how fine Bump uh, Elliott uh, treated me and appreciative of that and uh, grateful for it. But I uh, stir around a little bit in thinking how lucky I was to have been there at a moment in time that will never be again. Uh, for me it may be in some other way for somebody else but for me this this is magical this is just really magical that was a, a real a real quality period of my life and uh, again like I say I grew up a lot in Ames Iowa
1: well one of the great facilities that you brought in was the lead rec center and I know the the Olympic sports were very important to you those were certainly the the glory years uh, of track and field at Iowa State with Bill Bergen and Max, when I, when I talk to people about you, and I certainly have my own memories of you as well, but the people that were here in administration and coaching at the time, they all said the same thing, that you stopped by practices a lot, you stayed very, very close to the programs, you wanted them to know that you cared, and I, I think that meant an awful lot to the people that ran those programs during those years.
0: Well, I hope it did, John, but it meant a lot to me, because here I am transitioning from coaching into administrative work. I'm telling you, there's a big difference there was a void in me that I'm not sure I could fill adequately that would enable me to do a good job. And that was one way that I filled that void. I made sure that I kept close to the teams. It was stimulating and inspiring to me to go on the practice, to the practice sites, whether it was volleyball, baseball, track, wrestling. It just was inspiring to me to be around the athletes, to see them working so hard it was inspirational and that's what really helped me fill the gap that I was experiencing personally leaving coaching it was just so good I couldn't wait to have got to be around four o'clock whatever happened during that day I was going to have going into something that was going to be really uplifting and that was going into seeing our team's practice the coaches work somebody get better a little bit better each day somebody discover themselves in a certain way. It's nice of you to say that, and it's uh, it's very meaningful to think that 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 meant something to somebody else. And it meant a lot to me, too.
1: You said that very well, and I know that the job isn't always fun. There are hard days, there are tough days, but there are also occasionally really dark days. And I I can't imagine one that would have been any harder than the the cross-country team's plane crash, Uh, You had to make those phone calls to those families. Was that probably the hardest thing you did during your time at Iowa State?
0: Well, I I think without a doubt, John, that's the hardest thing I've had to dealt with, I think, in my life up to this point. November twenty fifth, 1985, it was one of those human stories that um, you're not sure you have the strength to go on. You just don't know if you, you can deliver for other people. And this isn't about you, Max. This is about the families. This is about the other people. These are about This is about the teammates of the young women and men that lost their lives in that plane crash. This is about their families. So quit feeling sorry for yourself and feel a sense of loss. You need to help them. You need to be there for them. And I think however I arrived at that, John, was really the best place to be for anyone in those circumstances. At the conclusion of that, I remember going to Ron Renko's apartment with his parents and brother and getting his belongings, and then going to New York where Pat Moynihan, the assistant coach, lived in White Plains, New York, and talking to his mother and taking the few things that Pat had. And then it was Wayne Moore and Dr. Parks and I had gotten together and felt that it was important. That, and, and Warren Madden also was very helpful in this whole process of, of staying focused on making sure we do the right thing for the people, and the people were the family. So. That's when I went to England and uh, met with the families of uh, Sue Baxter and Julie Rose and took what possessions they had left from that plane crash and um, got to know them through their families and that was uh, that was really very tough to do and it kind of puts things in perspective and there's not a November that doesn't go by that I don't that uh, wow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I imagine.
0: Yeah, that that goes by, that I don't think about that.
1: I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Max, you touched on something, the hiring of Jim Gibbons and kind of the roll of the dice with hiring a young coach. And to see in 1987, Iowa had come in with a nine-year run of NCAA championships. They had the Roman numeral 10 on their uniforms. And here here comes Gibby and the Cyclones and wins that national championship. How special was that feeling?
0: real. I mean, it was, here is Gibby. I tell you, what a refreshing face and uh, energy on the scene. And you had no doubt Gibby was going to handle this. I mean, that was just the metal uh, that he was made of. He was just going to be able to handle this in a way that we all thought, yeah, this guy, if anybody can take this beyond where we think we've been, Gibby is the guy that can do it. So going into a season like that and Again, Iowa was a great wrestling program, but Gibby was not to be denied. He had the Cardinal Gold in his blood, and I'm sure he—I haven't seen Gibby for a while, but I just know it, he's relived some of the things we've just talked about, John, and what uh, what great people we had, and uh, we traveled together, and and we all supported Gibby. I mean, it was Johnny Orr, uh, Walden, uh, gosh, yeah. Pete Taylor. Ah, boy, Those were really magical times. Again, I've said that before, but I don't think how I could feel any more enriched about being an athletic director and having those kinds of people around. Now, they weren't the only ones. Golly, Julie Manning, our women's golf coach, she was terrific. And Elaine Heber, she enlightened all of us about the value of sports that it holds for women as well as for men. And she enlightened us over and over again. And I have so much respect for her patience and tolerance she should always know what an impact she had on our lives and then on the lives of the women that we were able to work with as athletes and as coaches and to bring them along uh, by providing them opportunities the high quality opportunities and not treat them as second class and that the values that the men were experiencing in men's basketball the women could experience the same thing in women's basketball that was a different a different time and place John. But again, it had to be someplace. And those values, again, were not gender-specific. So if sports was to be good for men, it was to be good for women. So you provide the same kind of experience that you possibly can regardless of gender. And that was kind of our that was kind of our tone, and that was kind of the education that Elaine took us through. I'm sure it was tough on her many times, but she should be happy and be very satisfied that she knows that she did her work very well in bringing us along.
1: Yeah, she's terrific, and I've had the opportunity to talk to Elaine, who is very excited to to know that you're headed into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. And You're right, women's sports were really just beginning that big, big growth at that time. And she mentioned that, you know, as your senior women's administrator, she did bring some of these things to light and, and that you just embraced all of it. You wanted to see that growth in women's sports. and. You know, I'm sure it wasn't that way everywhere, that, that probably some people were fighting the, the amount of growth that was happening in women's sports, but you embraced it and, and thought it was great. I think that's terrific, especially when we've seen women's sports go to the point now where it is absolutely at the same level as men's sports, and everybody's exciting, and fans embrace it, and you see the academic accomplishments of these young athletes, and it's just awesome to see what's happened in women's sports over over those decades.
0: From one standpoint, it's unfortunate that it took a legal aspect of it to get it done it should have been the human aspect of it i mean that was kind of where we came from from it was a human concern for the value of sports it wasn't being afraid of title IX and the legal aspects of it that we were vulnerable to it was very important in the education and development of young women as well as young men although you know the federal government is a has a pretty heavy hammer when it comes down to get this done, but you do it with joy and with you know with great stimulation and satisfaction when you can do it not from a legal stand, standpoint but from a human standpoint so that I think that gave us a refreshing perspective on women 's sport and, and encouraged us to uh, motivate ourselves on it when we saw almutawokil win the four hundred intermediate hurdles, man, we jumped as high as saw Danny Harris when he won.
1: It. Absolutely, so, yeah.
0: So it was yeah. it really was a, really a great time.
1: You mentioned Pete Taylor on several occasions, and you hired Pete. You've said many times it was best hire he ever made. You came back for the celebration of life for Pete, which was great to see you then. Obviously, you cared deeply for him and, and understood what he meant to this entire athletics department.
0: He was the, the man of all reason. Pete was a quality person professional in the broadcast industry, but what a great human being. I mean, he had the sensitivities for other people, John. You worked with him for years and years. If you wanted a steady hand and a steady mind and a steady voice on something, you looked over where Pete was sitting. And come on, Pete, talk to me. Come on, Pete, talk to me. Talk to Mm -hmm. me, Pete. And, And he would. He would come at it with exactly what you need. There's a hire that... I don't know why I was so lucky and why things kind of came together there. And he ended up at Iowa at, you know, State as a real key person in our evolvement as a, as a quality athletic program during that period of time. And it, he had kind of laid a foundation for anyone else that came into the department that knew about Pete, had a certain standard that they had to live up to and looked up to. He didn't know it, but he mentored more people than all of us put together. Mm -hmm. He mentored Orr, mentored Walden, he mentored Dave Cox, he mentored me, he was terrific. You just can't stand around a group of people and Pete Taylor name comes up and to the last person everyone starts smiling.
1: That's exactly right. (laughs) We
0: just just smile and we just got to chuckle a little bit because you know Pete's right over there and he's chuckling too and he's smiling and you're all kind of thinking the same thing. We got something special going here. How did did this happen? How did this come together? That was really, really unbelievable, John. That was, Pete was terrific. He was a stalwart. He was a real voice of strength and reason and, and, uh, empowered all of us to make sure we do the right thing. Make sure we do the right thing.
1: Max, it's been tremendously fun to visit with you about some of these great memories, and I'm sure we're going to do more of this when you come in in September for the Hall of Fame ceremony. That's something you richly deserve, and I, I just uh, i think a lot of people, because you left uh, so many friends and names that are still your friends, I'm sure, to this day, it's going to be another party, just uh, like when Johnny Orr was hired, when you come back in September, because there's a lot of people that are very excited for you and can't wait to see you then.
0: Well, listen, I, I'm looking forward. I'm excited. John, and coming back and reliving those stories is really, I'm chuckling now, but of course we might embellish a little bit every every time we tell us about <laughs> that. well, that's okay. That. You, you take some liberties. I really appreciate you taking the time to call me and, and talk to me about Iowa State. It's a really a warm spot in my heart and always will be, and uh, as I said, I, I grew a lot in Ames, Iowa, and it has to do with a lot of the people that live there now, that lived there then, and that uh, we'll live there and make it uh, the great place that it is.
1: Thanks so much, Max. Really appreciate you doing this, and uh, can't wait to see you in September. We'll look forward to it.